0: This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast, May 9th. 2022. Great to be with you. Another sunny Monday morning here in Southern California. Um, So this week, um, we're taking a risk. We're doing something new. I alluded to it last week, and then I thought a lot about it during the week, and finally, at some point during the week, decided to pull the trigger. Um, So we're just going to call these episodes The Transcendent Rants. Uh, Because the title should have a little something for everyone. The word rant um, seems to be a vibe here in the culture today. And the internet, internet makes it all possible, right? We use websites, podcasts, blogs, YouTube, social media. They're all platforms that have been used for rants, right? Everything from politics to religion to foods we like and foods we don't like, It's really the perfect place to give someone a shout out and the perfect place to cancel someone at the same time, to discuss opinions we have, uh, things that we're passionate about, questions that we have or questions we can't seem to get answers to. And one of the podcasts I listen to regularly switched things up the other day and did this thing called a rant. So instead of doing an interview like he typically does, he did a 30-minute rant on comparing joy. And it was great. You know, uh, a podcast, 30, 40 minutes, maybe it's, it's a great platform to just to sit and have a conversation. Right. And then there's TikTok, which is a platform that seems like it was literally designed for rants, right? Short and to the point video clips, less than three minutes where people rant about things that seem pretty important to them. Uh, I follow one account. uh, I think his name is Andrew something or other because his handle is Andruski with a three instead of an E. Um, and the other day, he ranted about oatmeal, literally two minutes straight on oatmeal and how bad it is and how it shouldn't get the notoriety it has amongst other breakfast foods. And how many people watch that post? Oh, I don't know, like 95,000 people now don't get me wrong. I love the concept, right? I love that we can jump on a platform and say a few things and the entire world can see instantly. That's great. It's insane. What an amazing world we live in. But at the same time, this is why I can't be on TikTok for very long. After a deep dive, I start feeling like I just went to 500 different churches, right? Sat through a minute or two of each sermon, heard 500 different takes on things that I can't even strain together into one solid thought. It's really overkill. It's overload for my brain. At any rate, that's why I used the word rant, because this episode will be me talking about things that are important to me, opinions, passions, questions. Um, However, I threw in the word transcendent in hopes that it would kind of soften the word rant a little bit, right? Just enough because many of us when we hear the word rant we just assume the worst right we assume that the person is going to be super negative probably cussing right i mean that's that's the picture we have in our heads someone on the far left or far right politically blasting the other side with all sorts of made up facts that that make you look intelligent and make them look dumb and that wouldn't be wrong <laughs> obviously those kind of rants do exist in fact there are far too many of them which is one of the reasons social media is under such scrutiny these days, right? So I added the word transcendent in order to help explain the direction I want the rant to go, right? On the one hand, I want to rant, but on the other hand, I want to be useful, purposeful, thought-provoking, and uplifting to the people listening. I want to say things that raise questions, that uh, that make suggestions, and that we're all working together to find a better way to do something So that's the perfectionist coming out in me, right? What if you looked at one area of your life and you said, what could I do in that area of my life to take things to the next level? So parenting is kind of uh, an example of this, right? What could I do more of? What could I do less of? Um, And maybe asking questions about those things as part of my personal rant, not to make other parents feel bad but ranting so that I can find ways to have a better relationship with my kids so that they'll look back someday and they'll be like, I love my dad. He did X, Y, or Z, which always made me feel loved and valued. So that's it. Just a long intro to say that I'm going to rant today, but hopefully I'll do it in a transcendent way. Another slight change. In these episodes, I'm not going to do a minute of transparency. Sorry. For those of you who love the MOT, Apologies. But my thought is that if this is a rant, I'm pretty much going to be transparent the entire way through the episode. So I don't want to overwhelm you with too much. So today's topic, the Transcendent Rant, chapter one. Number one, simple eschatology. Number two, COVID. Number three, the Putin puppet. And number four, the coming cashless society. Number one, simple eschatology. So the rant for today might be a little bit unique, right? I mean, it's already unique in and of itself, Um, but as I kind of put some of this content down, I realized that a lot of the things I wanna rant about are actually connected. Like there's this theme or this thread that's running through each of these topics, right? Giving it a theme or a flavor, if you will. All of the things I want to rant about today fall into the category of eschatology, which is just a big word for the study of end-time events. Now, some people may have absolutely no context for this, right? And others may have way too much context. And then there's everything in between. So let's start with me. I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. What the heck is that, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Seventh-day Adventism is a Protestant Christian denomination. However, it is a very misunderstood denomination. Uh, There was a book back in the 80s or 90s, I can't remember, maybe even farther back, called The Kingdom of the Cults. Uh, It was a book by Walter Martin. And in this book, he lists the Seventh-day Adventists in the appendix, in a chapter called The Puzzle of Seventh-day Adventism. And he explains that this puzzle is puzzling because of their theology. It's puzzling because he couldn't, in good faith, call them a cult, but at the same time, they didn't fit perfectly into his narrow view of what mainstream Christian churches should believe and teach. Interesting, but not really important for our discussion today. All you really need to know for today is the two things that make up the name Seventh Day. Or the belief that the seventh day or the the Sabbath, uh, which is Saturday, uh, has always been God's day of worship, that it was given during creation, that it continued throughout the life of the patriarchs, that it was adhered to by the people of Israel, and that there's no reason it shouldn't continue to this day. It's the belief that the Sabbath was never meant to be changed to Sunday. So that's the first part, seventh day. And then Adventism, which is a strong belief in the Advents. And there's been, or there will be, two Advents eventually. The first Advent is the one we celebrate at Christmas, right? The fact that Jesus came to earth as a baby. Advent number two is the whole belief that he will return to earth at the end as king. So you can imagine, based on that traditional upbringing, that I had a lot of conversations about the end of time everywhere from at home to at church to in my Christian school. And so that was just a big part of what makes me, me. Next, there are people who are raised in mainstream traditional Christianity. This could be Catholicism, or it could be some of the more mainstream um, Protestant denominations. Whatever the case, um, in these homes, it was probably hit or miss whether or not the end of time was talked about, right? Conversations about the end of time may have happened, but not necessarily, since eschatology is not really one of the main beliefs or core features in a lot of these religious denominations. Next, you probably have people who fall into this group, right? Christian people who have no desire to understand the end of time. My wife is a little bit on this side, Uh, when she explains, she says things like, it's confusing, or it's more of an argument or a debate than anything else. Uh, Or sometimes she'll say it's scary, it's sad, and it's not very fun to think about. All things that I get completely true, I understand. It's not the easiest thing to understand. People do debate it until they're blue in the face. And it's been cause for polarization and division in the church for many years. Next, there's a group of people who probably had no strong spiritual beliefs or ties to a church or denomination at all. For most of these people, they probably grew up with no frame of reference for the end of time at all. But then let's say that at some point in their life, they they found something that they either read or watched on TV or saw in the theater, and it opened that door about the end of time. For example, maybe they found the Left Behind book series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. This book series injected the end of time concept into our culture like a shot of adrenaline. It was a global phenomenon at the time, right? A a best-selling series, not unlike the Harry Potter books when they came out. For millions and millions of people, both Christian and non-Christian, this was their introduction to eschatology, the whole idea that the world someday will come to an end. And then finally, there are people with a very worldly view of the end of time. So these are people who probably would never consider themselves spiritual or religious. Maybe they weren't raised in church. Maybe they've never even stepped foot in a church. Maybe they've never seen a book series like the Left Behind book series. So in a group of people like this, where do you think thoughts and beliefs about the end of time scenarios come from? You guessed it. It's probably from popular media, right? Movies. Movies like This Is the End, The Road, It Comes at Night, The Day After, 12 Monkeys, Failsafe, Children of Men, A Quiet Place, Wally, Mad Max, Deep Impact, Armageddon, Contagion, Annihilation, 28 Days Later. And the list just goes on and on and on. Think about how many movies you've seen in your life, movies where there is a protagonist whose job it is to save the world from imminent destruction. And how many dystopian movies have you seen where the world's already ended, right? Something bad has already happened. And this is what life looks like after that apocalyptic event that changed the world drastically. Now, there is a massive part of the world's population that only have this as their source of reference about the end of time, right? So if you went out on the street and you asked, let's say, a thousand people, Hey, how do you think the world is going to end? Or do you think the world is going to end? You would probably hear things like, yeah, probably at some point because of global warming, or maybe it's an asteroid, or maybe because of nuclear war, or global food crisis, or uh, maybe flooding from the polar ice caps melting, things like that, right? Things that Hollywood is quick to jump on, portraying them with all the action, suspense, flair, and CGI, of course, known to man. So that was just a short list of ways that I think people have been introduced to this whole concept of the end of time. And I know that we have all sorts of people listening to this episode today, right? Maybe one of you is a PhD in biblical studies, and then there's someone over on the other side who has never even thought about the end of time. And we have everything in between. So let me just kind of lay down the framework here. This is not going to turn into a six-hour lesson in Bible prophecy. It just isn't. However, because Transcend Human is based on Christianity, which is based on the Bible, I probably need to figure out how to pull that in on some level, right? So let me just say it this way. Transcend Human believes that the Bible includes absolute truth, truth that we can use to build a solid foundation when it comes to this whole eschatology thing. If we don't go down this route, we're simply speculating. And unfortunately, speculation isn't all that helpful it's similar to people and their opinions on social media. I mean, are you really willing to trust your entire life to somebody's opinion on TikTok? So like I said, no Bible prophecy today. Uh, I'm going to stay away from books like Daniel, Isaiah, Revelation, Ezekiel, things like that. Instead, let's just look at some high-level stuff. Let's look at some stuff in the Bible that's much less controversial, much less debated. So today, let's look at Matthew and Thessalonians. So, in Matthew 24, there's a bunch of verses that talk about the end of time. And I'm just going to call this list signs of the end. So, here we go. First, famines, pestilences, pandemics, and sickness. Next, wars and rumors of wars. Next, earthquakes. Next, false teachers, false prophets, people that are basically saying, Look at me, I'm Jesus or I'm God. Next, persecution. The whole idea of being hated by all people, basically being hated by the entire world. Next, hearts growing cold. So people being offended by each other, betraying each other, and hating on one another. And then finally, the gospel will be taken to the whole world. So this list of, what was that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That list of seven things is just a very high overview of what things will be like at the end of time signs of the end okay now let's jump over to thessalonians so we're going to look at first thessalonians 4 and 5 and then second thessalonians 2 so in these verses there's this thing called the day of the lord right now this is just another way of saying the end of time and it's described as coming like a thief in the night so this whole idea that nobody's going to know when it happens when it's going to be here the day the date the hour No one is going to know that. But it also suggests that it's important to be aware of the times that we're living in, right? The climate, the signs from Matthew, the the seven signs we just talked about. Thessalonians suggests that we should live in such a way that we are being observant and aware of the things that are going on in our culture. It also says it this way. It says we need to watch and be sober, Now, the word sober in its very literal form um, means to refrain from alcohol, right? To not be under the influence of alcohol, which is interesting. It's an interesting correlation to the second part of it, which we'll talk about in a minute. But when you are not on alcohol, you are in a normal state of functioning, right? You have a certain ability to control your impulses. You have a certain uh, ability to think and to act and to behave, kind of a baseline of all of those things. Then when you introduce alcohol, that line starts to drop, right? So you become more impulsive. You can't act as quickly. You're not thinking quite as clearly. Um, Your behaviors and your physical functioning tend to get a little bit clunky, right? So that's the very... um, that's the very literal form of the word sober. But think about it in more of a figurative way. Think about being sober in other areas of your life. So let's say we're choosing not to be drunk on money or fame or fortune or climbing our way to the top. All of those kinds of things. Those are all things that we can literally be drunk on to the point where we are not living in a way that we are observing what's going on around us very well. So that's just another interesting way of explaining it in Thessalonians. So that was the day of the Lord. Next is the order of operations. At least that's that's the way I'm going to kind of explain this next section. So let's look at the order of operations at the end of time based on Thessalonians. So the writer of Thessalonians suggests that there will be four groups of people at the end of time. There will be those who are alive and on team God. There will be those who are alive and on team Satan. There will be those who are dead on team God and those who are dead on team Satan. Now, the author helps us understand what will happen to these four groups of people and in what order when Jesus returns. So, step one, it says that there will be a falling away. So, People who were for most of their life on Team God, for some reason, they choose against the thing that they know to be true and they join Team Satan, whether they fully understand what they're doing or not. Step two, it says, The lawless one will be revealed. Now, this means different things to different people, but to me, it has always meant that true evil is revealed or allowed to become obvious in the world. So we all have probably heard of this thing called the Trinity or the Holy Trinity, right? You've got God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Satan wants nothing more than to be God. He wants to be his own version of God. And so what better way to be like God than to create the unholy Trinity, right? So Satan has pulled together three separate beings that make up his Trinity, one of which is himself, and then there's this thing called the beast, and then there's this thing called the false prophet. Now, these do come out of the book of Revelation, so we're not going to go any deeper into that for now. But just so you know, that step two of the lawless one being revealed is Satan becoming more fully involved in what's going on in the world. Step three, it says, after these two things happen, Jesus returns to earth. So Jesus comes in the clouds, and he remains in the clouds while the rest of the steps take place. Step four, it says those who are dead, but on team God, will be raised from the dead. Now, it doesn't say explicitly, but we are led to understand that the dead on team Satan just remained dead. That's kind of just an unwritten explanation in the verses. Um, Next, step five, it says... Those who are raised from the dead and who are on Team God will be made perfect and will rise to meet Jesus in the sky. Step six, those who are alive already and on Team God will join them in the sky, rising to meet Jesus. And then the final step, and this is an assumption again, is based on the other passages of Scripture and this whole concept that those living at the time who are on Team Satan. Will not be able to handle the sight of Jesus or God because they will be consumed as if by fire because they are still in mortal bodies. They still haven't been changed. And so, if you are a mortal in the presence of God, you are unable to be in the presence of God because God is perfect. So, there you go. Quick rant on eschatology. Very high level. I mean, this is like the tip of the iceberg, right? Bible prophecy is so much deeper than that. It gets very detailed about history, about the state of the world, and, and kind of what will happen at the end of time. But like I said, all of that is for another day. Okay. Number two, COVID recap. So let's jump to the pandemic. And when I say recap, I'm not talking about going over the science, the origin, patient zero infection rates, modes of transmission variants or you know, any of that kind of stuff, right? Those are all very important things, things that our grandkids someday will probably read about in their history books and in school. No, what I'm talking about is more in line with our theme for today. So how does the pandemic fit into our beliefs and our ideas about the end of time? As I said earlier, I grew up with this awareness of the end of time, that it was a thing and that it would someday happen. And I still remember hearing my parents going back and forth about it, right? They would say things like, man, for many years, we really thought the world was going to end in our lifetime. But then life just kind of went on and now we just aren't that sure. Then something big would happen in the world. And then they would immediately go back to this whole conversation about the end of time. And on some level, I've fallen into the same habit in my own life. When I was in high school and college, um, I spent a lot of time studying Bible prophecy, actually. Um, I was all about it, right? I believed that it would happen in my lifetime. Then I started working, had a family, and life just kind of mellowed into just a day-to-day, day-in, day-out routine. The world kept spinning, and the whole end-of-time thing just kind of took a back seat. Until this little thing that happened on September 11th, 2001, right? All of a sudden, the world was in turmoil again, falling apart, and our country was under attack. Needless to say, all that energy about the end of time started to resurface. It felt very spiritual on some level, right? With the perpetrators being Islamic and having this religious reason for the things that they did. And it was amazing how many of our freedoms we were pretty easily willing to give up in a short amount of time in order to protect our country from outside threats. It was as if the whole world stopped for a month or two until we could adjust and then keep things moving forward again. Then the world went back to spinning and the end of time thing just took a back seat again. Enter 2020 and the pandemic. I can still remember a conversation I had with my parents a few months into lockdown, and the conversation turned to, you guessed it, the end of time. Now, I'm not the kind of person that considers myself an alarmist or a full blown conspiracy theorist or anything like that. What I hope I am is a conscientious observer. So somebody who takes it all in, who notices the uniqueness of world events and is able to follow the overall trend in the culture. Then after digesting it all, taking those things and developing a clear picture of the future. Not a snapshot, right? Not the minute a big event happens, a snapshot where you get all alarmed and freaked out. And not a picture based on wild, tangential sci-fi ideas and hypotheses. Just a very clear picture based on the simple warnings that the Bible provided in Matthew, right? Those seven things that we walked through. So 9 11 definitely checked the box of wars and rumors of wars, right? Including all of the subsequent military efforts that we had in Iraq and Afghanistan. But like I said, it pretty quickly came and went. Maybe because that's all we were feeling at the time, just wars and rumors of wars, right? There weren't a lot of other things going on at the time. From that list in Matthew, there weren't a lot of other things going on, at least when we look back at that time in history. But when COVID hit, all of a sudden there was a big one that we hadn't seen before. Famines, pestilences, pandemics, and sickness. I'm pretty sure COVID checked that box, right? But it wasn't just the fact that COVID was a pandemic, It was everything else that got wrapped into it, like the fact that it was a global pandemic, right? When is the last time we here in America suffered alongside with the rest of the world? When have we experienced something that hit all people at the same time, regardless where you live, what you do for a living, what your financial status is, right? It was a very unique situation where the entire world was experiencing the same thing at the same time. I don't know if that affected you that way, but for me, that was just a very unsettling thing when you start to feel the global nature of the pandemic. Next was a political mess, right? Not that the pandemic created the political polarization we saw, but I'm sure it didn't help, and I'm sure it definitely played into it. Now, we made a hard course correction from right to left, right? We had the leader of our country suggesting that our voting system was corrupt. We had an insurrection at the Capitol, and the polarization continues to this day. In fact, it was just last week the whole Roe v. Wade thing um, came up. The opinion was leaked, and ever since then, it's just been this renewed level of polarization between left and right in this country. Next, during COVID, we saw social unrest, so racial tension, police brutality, uh, Ahmad Arbery, George Floyd, Dante Wright, Brianna Taylor, just to name a few of the people who died during COVID and all of the media firestorm that followed those deaths. Terrible. And the social unrest, you know, definitely added another to me anyway. It added another sign to the list. So on our list of seven things, one of them is that hearts were growing cold, that people are being offended by others, that people are betraying each other and hating on one another. And it just feels that that's getting more and more and more prevalent in the world today. Next, fear and uncertainty. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really been uncertain or afraid living in the United States. I'm sure that part of that is, you know, related to white privilege and being a white male, but there has always just been this sense of stability in our country in my entire lifetime. Yes, we've had natural political and social ups and downs, but I've always been that optimistic person that just assumes that everything will average out and that at the end of the day, my life wasn't going to be impacted much by these ripples in the fabric of time. But COVID did a number on this positivity that I had, right? This level of optimism and positivity. And I think it did that for most of us. I mean, we were forced out of our comfort zones, right? Work from home or simply don't work. We sensed a new level of governmental control, everything from the masks and the social distancing to all of the rules that were thrown on us about traveling and gathering. Uh, We were told what businesses could survive and which would have to tank. Um, you know, all the testing, the quarantining, the vaccination chaos. And we saw strange attempts at the government trying to support citizens, which was a little weird, right? Allowing you to apply for loans that you didn't have to pay back, uh, compensating you for COVID unemployment, sending us tax credit money based on the number of kids in the house, uh, forcing landlords not to evict during the pandemic. All of these things that seemed helpful at the time, but it also made us ask, How on earth is this even possible? How is this? How is this gonna work that the government is just gonna give us money? There has to be some strings attached to all of this, right? And that's where the fear and certainty kind of came in with COVID. Number three, let's talk about Russia and the invasion. So, number three is the Putin puppet. So COVID obviously checked the box of famines, pestilences, pandemics, and sickness. And the political and social climate uh, during the pandemic, for me at least, checked the box of people's hearts growing cold. And then Russia invaded Ukraine, which added the checkbox for me next to wars and rumors of war. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think the entire world has had a front row seat to what's going on. But I will say this about the invasion of Ukraine. First of all, there are certain people on earth that I believe Satan has Partnered with, literally locked arms with, and said, "Come on, man, let's do this thing." Think about Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Paul Pot, uh, Saddam Hussein, Idi Amin, right? Putin is just another in this long line of men who I believe have given themselves over to Satan, to evil. I believe Satan has worked his tail off with some of these guys, manipulating, coercing, um, you know, allowing them to reach a level of power and. um monetary strength if you will that they just that they it goes to their head and eventually it gets them into a position where they will do his work here on earth and i believe that putin did the same thing that he joined forces with satan in some weird way in order to do evil in the world you know whether he views it that way or not i don't know Uh, He may not even view the world in terms that we talk about on this podcast, right? This whole controversy that exists between God and Satan. But regardless of whether he understands that or not, I believe that he made his choice, that he gave himself over to evil and that he's doing the work of Satan, whether he knows it or not. Sure, Putin has the freedom of choice, just like we do, right? It's not like he's manipulated and has no choice in the matter, but I believe he's become a puppet of sorts, so fueled by his anger and his hatred and his pride that he's literally convinced himself he's doing the right thing, that he's working for the betterment of Mother Russia or whatever. So the connection is pretty obvious, if you ask me, the The connection to Satan, because Satan is referred to as the father of lies. And Putin is working off the same playbook, right? Gaslighting his people and gaslighting the world and engaging in genocide and then turning around and making it out to be a staged thing, right? That all of these atrocities were just staged to make him look bad. And that's just a really small example of the lies that he's told and the manipulation being used to keep this Russian invasion going, right? Keeping, keeping the Russian people on board and keeping the world on pause just long enough so that he can press on with his scorched earth invasion of Ukraine. To most of the world, Putin's intentions are obvious, And yet there is only so much we can do, right? Based on the the NATO charter that we're involved in and based on the fact that we're dealing with a lunatic that has numerous nuclear weapons at his disposal, we're really locked in a difficult place, right? Between a rock and a hard place. Number four, the coming cashless society. So another thing that came up during COVID um, is the economy, right? Obviously, it was hit very hard when businesses were forced to close and um, new construction markets ground to a halt, new car production stopped, used cars and rental car prices skyrocketed. All of those things, along with the slowing of the supply chain and the inability to get what was needed to keep commerce flowing, all of that led to inflated costs for just about everything. I mean, we typically see it in, in terms of gas and food prices, right? But the ripple effect is way more pervasive than that. Every single product or service is touched by it in some way, right? It's, it's a ripple effect where the cost of gas and the issues with the supply chain are bumping the prices on everything, not just the main things. And of course, it all trickles down to us, right? The end users, the consumers just trying to survive. And most of us trying to survive on the same salary that we've had since 2019. But this isn't the only thing that happened when it comes to money. There's another movement that's just starting to kick into high gear, and that's cryptocurrency. Now, it's taking off for many reasons, not the least of which is the fact that it's the wild, wild west, right? And people stand to make a lot of money, just like the gold rush in the 40s and the dot-com revolution in the 90s. Crypto is the latest and greatest way to build wealth. I have friends who, you know, these are typically friends who are on the cutting edge on many things. But they're all about the whole crypto thing. They're building mining farms in their basements or in their cabins in the woods. Multiple uh, computers networked, hooked up together, running 24-7, mining for Bitcoin. Now, am I saying it's a bad thing? No, not necessarily. I mean, on some level, you could view it the same way that we viewed the introduction of MP3 files for music, right? When the technology first became available, it was the wild, wild west of music, right? People were converting CDs to MP3s, and then they were sharing them on sites like Napster and other torrent sites. The music industry quickly became frustrated because they started losing money. But eventually, they had to evolve because they realized MP3s were not going to go away. So this led to the birth of streaming music and the subscription-based music platforms that we have today. Now, if I saw you put a CD into your Discman, I would probably laugh you out of town. And this is very similar to how I see things going with crypto, right? It's still in the wild, wild west phase. But at some point, banks and government regulators, they're going to realize that it's here to stay, and they're going to have to figure out a way to control it, to monetize it so that they can get a piece of the action, which means it will become the norm. At some point, we're all going to be forced to use crypto in some way, shape, or form, which brings up another end of time concept that I grew up with personally, And it's the whole idea that at some point in time, our society is going to be cashless. Why? Simple. In order for people to be persecuted for their beliefs, in order for the Bible's explanation that people will not be allowed to buy or sell, cash can't be available. It can't be a thing. Pretty simple, right? If you have cash, you can purchase things, and nobody but you and the person you're buying them from understands or knows that that transaction took place. But in a cashless society, we've removed that option, right? When all money is exchanged in digital format, there is always a record of it. And that record can be tracked or even stopped by the powers that be. Right now, that doesn't even seem possible, right? We live in a free society with privacy and protections. But think about how fast those protections could fall if something big happened. I mean, all it would take is a national or global crisis to change all that. We can all probably see a scenario where the government, you know, could remove these protections in the name of national security, for example. And just like that, a hold could be placed on your bank accounts. Everything from PayPal to Zelle to Venmo, Apple Pay, and most likely crypto holdings in the future. And that's an environment in which persecution can take place not that people aren't already persecuted now. I mean, don't get me wrong. You don't have to have a cashless society for people to be persecuted. I mean, people can be locked up and a key thrown away for no reason, right? I mean, there you go, persecution. But the Bible is interestingly clear that at the end of time, people will be controlled by their access to money. The phrase that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark is pretty clear, right? Now, the whole mark thing is a whole other thing, but we'll save that for a future rant. For now, I'm just bringing up a possible end of time scenario, one where cash no longer exists and one where people can be controlled because of it. So let's land the plane. This week's transcendent rant turned out to be a little lopsided, right? All of it leaning toward eschatology. However, that's not going to be the case most of the time. I mean, my hope is that throughout the week or weeks to come, as I hear things on the news or on the radio or I uh, have conversations, that, that just random little snippets will will come to me. I'll put it all down on paper, and then I'll do a rant, and I'll kind of address four or five, six topics that that probably won't have a lot to do with each other. But for some crazy reason, this one today turned out to be all related. So there you go, right? I'm not going to I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm not going to try to pretend that it wasn't. It is. And so hopefully it was helpful to you, especially those of you who have never even thought about the end of time, right? People who are like, "Yeah, whatever. It's like it's so far away. I don't even I don't even begin to know. Who, who knows? Maybe maybe this was an interesting simple overview of some of the things that are happening and some of the things that could happen. Um, just to pique your interest about the end of time. But before we go, um, I just wanted to throw together a few takeaways from the rant this week. So number one, you don't need to be a hardcore student of the Bible or a student of Bible prophecy to become a conscientious observer. Number two, COVID and the last few years have really ramped things up when it comes to the signs of the end, the signs that we talked about in Matthew. Um, here are just some of the boxes that we can check, right? So we talked about the famines and and pestilences and pandemics. We talked about wars and rumors of war. We talked about hearts growing cold. I mean, there's three of the seven right there that seem to be going on all at the same time. You know, there's other ones like earthquakes. Yes, we have earthquakes, but I don't really see that that's gotten any worse. Uh, The whole thing about false teachers and false prophets, I I don't typically see people saying that they're God or saying that they're Jesus. Um, Persecution of a group of people by the entire world, I don't really see that yet. Um, And then the whole concept of the gospel being taken to the whole world, that's always kind of been in debate because with how fast data transfers nowadays with social media and the internet, you would think that the gospel has been taken to the entire world. But I'm sure there are pockets, right? Pockets of the world where people don't have internet, you know, Amazon rainforest, uh, groups of people, you know, living in the middle of nowhere. Um, So has the gospel really gone to the entire world? I would say probably not. Um, But that's an interesting one. And then finally, does it make sense that we would be living in a cashless society at the end of time? If it makes sense to you, maybe you want to add this to Matthew's list. As another sign, right? So if or when cash is removed, we'll know that there is one more box checked and we're that much closer to a potential scenario that could lead to the end of time. All right, I think that's all I have for this rant. Um, If you liked this format, please let me know. If you didn't like it, let me know too, right? I'm a big boy. I can appreciate all kinds of feedback. So just shoot it over to info at transcendhuman.com. I'd love to reply if I have time. Um, thanks again for joining us. Um, so next week, I think we're going to be back to a more traditional episode. I'm going to call it Transcending Positivity. So how can we choose the mood we want to have in the future and the the mood we want to live under the majority of the time versus reacting constantly? having emotional reactions every time our circumstances change or something happens out of the blue, right? So until then, everyone have a great week. And as always keep transcending human.